You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Usually we like to uh, be logical with our good friend Bill Barnwell, ask him reasoned questions, but I think I'm going to start with a hot take today. I'm feeling fiery on this Tuesday. I think it's Courtney Cronin being around. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain is always. Courtney in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, Tuesdays with Barnwell, one of our favorite segments. Bill, I'm starting you off with a toughie. Playoffs start tomorrow. Who are your favorites in each conference? Okay, let's get to it. My favorites <laughs> in each conference. Right now, I'm throwing out my Super Bowl picks, which was Bill's 49ers, just to put that out there. And I the am Packers. going to say the uh, Dallas. That's going well. The, mm, you know, it's good, good reverse jinx on your part. Yeah, Either you're exactly. right or your hated rivals <laughs> Happy. Uh, fail miserably. <laughs> I will say the Dallas Cowboys in the NFC ahead of the Eagles. I think they're the better team right now. Eagles have been struggling the past couple weeks. That offense, you're kind of feeling the effect of the Dallas Goddard injury on offense and the Jordan Davis injury on defense. Still a great team, but just the Cowboys look to be firing on all cylinders. And I think I'm going to be boring and go with the Chiefs in the AFC because it just feels like Patrick Mahomes is unkillable. You know, I mean, the, the, the Chargers tried to win that game with a late score. Justin Herbert had that, you know, even defining drive. And then Patrick Mahomes just kind of casually drove down the field and won the football game. So I'll, I'll go Chiefs Cowboys right now. I don't think your Chiefs pick is boring at all. I think no. it's – I would have done the same thing. And I picked the Bills earlier this season, which I'm still going to ride with that. But your pick looks pretty good, mm-hmm. Bill, coming out of the AFC. Okay, so the 49ers last night. They beat the Cardinals, beat the brakes off of them, and they look mm-hmm. like they are for real. That Obviously, the NFC West is going to go through San Francisco, but this team is coming alive at the right time, which, of course, now we have to poke holes in this group and figure out, is Jimmy G the reason that they win a Super Bowl or that they would lose a Super Bowl? Where do you stand on that? Ooh, I would say... Jimmy G is the reason they would lose mm. a Super Bowl. Not that they can't win with Jimmy, because they can. They got very close last time. And, I mean, I think Jimmy Garoppolo's is better than Nick Foles. And the Eagles won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles, a quarterback. Um, I think he's better than Joe Flacco. Ravens won a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco, a quarterback. I think Jimmy has to get hot. And I think we've seen him have stretches this year where he has been that hot. He was great yesterday. Um, and I think the Niners have done a lot to make his life easier, adding all those weapons on the offensive side of the ball. But the issue with the Niners is not a matter of talent. It's never been over the past few years. It's health. It's making sure they have the guys who look great on paper on the field when the games matter. And Jimmy, his health is always an issue. He struggled to stay healthy over the course of his career. Christian McCaffrey, who's been such a great addition. We have the same question there. Guys like Debo Samuel, George Kittle. When all these guys are on the field, they're going to look absolutely terrifying. But, and we trust all those guys to be on the field come January? I think that's the big question for the Niners. At Bill Barnwell is where you can follow him on Twitter. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin with you on ESPN Radio. You wrote a piece for .com, and you talked about the contenders put on notice. Of those teams, the Jets, Giants, Vikings, and Ravens, who do you think has the toughest stretch for the remainder of the season or struggles the most? Mm, that's a good question. I would say... I think I might go towards the Giants, strangely. I know it's really easy to kind of bash the Chets right now for what Zach Wilson did on Sunday, um, but we'll give him a brief respite. And the Giants, I think, are a good football team, but 
you know, we sort of saw the holes get poked in their formula by the Lions on Sunday. The Giants have been great on defense, on third down, in the red zone, which, hey, great time to be great. Want to be good at any point, those are the times to be, but it's tough to sustain that if you're not good on first and second down, and if you're not good outside the red zone, Giants have not been this year. Lions were up there down great in the red zone in that game. They bottled up Saquon Barkley, and of course we know. I mean, this offense is already dealt with so many injuries at receiver. If Saquon Barkley is banged up or not 100%, that offense suddenly looks extremely, extremely low ceiling. And they still have a bunch of tough divisional games to play in the NFC East. So I do think the Giants make the playoffs, but I don't think they are a team that does much more than kind of squeak in and lose in that wild card round. Dallas, Washington, and Philadelphia, and then Washington again. Uh, that's the four-game stretch mm-hmm. that's coming up for the New York Giants. Not great having that many division games in a row at this part of the season. Uh, we look back to that Lions game that, that you mentioned with them, and that's Daniel Jones's highest output of the season. He threw for 341 yards, and we're all wondering mm-hmm. because they've got a decision they've got to make this offseason. It's the contract decision with, with Saquon Barkley, and also what do they do with the quarterback that has been playing relatively well within the system for them this year? So what should they do with Daniel Jones? Mm, that is an interesting question. I it's, It sort of depends on what happens with Saquon first, because he's the bigger priority, which is pretty rare for an NFL team. It sort of reminds me of the Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill situation from a few years ago where they had two players hitting free agency, a quarterback they probably weren't expecting to do what he did uh, heading into that offseason, and one franchise tag. And so you're kind of stuck because you can only franchise one of those guys if you want to get a deal done. Um, they were able to get a contract done with Tannehill, kind of bought them time with Henry, and then got a Henry deal done as well. Now, I don't know if the Giants are going to re-sign Daniel Jones. If it were me personally, I would say I appreciate all your help this year. You made us a better team than we expected. We still think we're going to go out and sign uh, either sign Jimmy Garoppolo or a veteran in free agency or draft someone in the first round in 2023. I think that's what the Giants do. I think that's what they should do. But I think what they actually end up doing depends on what they do with Saquon. If Saquon signs an extension, now the Giants have the franchise tag to use on Daniel Jones. And that might be a little more reasonable than signing him to an extension. If they don't have the franchise tag and have to use that on Saquon, then I think you're kind of just going, letting Daniel Jones go into the market. And I have to admit, I don't know what you guys think, but I can't imagine that someone's going to make Daniel Jones a really significant offer to be the quarterback of their football team. Well, we've heard other people stipulate that they just might, that they might be inspired by his play enough this year to throw some money at him. Hey, Bill, that's not the only quarterback that people are making decisions about. This one is more imminent, though. Robert Sala having to figure out what to do with Zach Wilson. I'm of the opinion that they should move away from Zach Wilson this weekend, even if it's against a bad Bears defense, because you have to prove to the team that this is about the best winning opportunity for a team that's still hoping to make the playoffs and not about the height of the pick that you took or Zach Wilson's ego or anything else. I think they should play Flacco. A lot of people disagree with me. What do you say? I kind of agree with you. I think it goes back to a couple things. Number one, Go back to where Robert Sala came from, where he sort of, you know, started his career really at a high level in the NFL, and that was with Seattle under Pete Carroll. And Pete Carroll is someone who preaches competitiveness. He had Russell Wilson beat out Matt Flynn and gave Russell Wilson the starting job from week one when he was a rookie. This year, I mean, they traded for, for Drew Locke. They thought he was going to be their guy when they made that trade. It wasn't going to be Geno mm-hmm. Smith, who they signed a couple months later, but Geno Smith won the job in camp, and it's been a great decision for the Seattle Seahawks. And from the Jets' perspective now, of course, the plan coming into this year, we got to see Zach Wilson develop. All the moves we made were to surround Zach Wilson with talent. 
But this defense has come along quicker than I think anybody expected. They're the second-best defense in football by EPA per play since week three. They have a championship-caliber defense right now, not a year from now, not two years from now. Their defense is legit. And so I think that is the difference for me. If they were just kind of having an average year with an average defense, then I'd say just, you know, let's that goals and kind of get this time. But they can win. They can be a playoff team this year right now. And I think for the people in that fan base who haven't had a playoff team in more than a decade, and more importantly, maybe the people in that locker room who have to believe mm-hmm. in Robert Sala and vice versa, mm-hmm. they know that Zach Wilson can't play right now. It doesn't mean that you're giving up on him forever. It doesn't mean that you are abandoning that, that plan. But I think you have to do right by the players in that locker room. And the best thing for them to do is probably to go to Joe Flacco or to Mike White, even if it's only just to say, hey, listen, we tried it, and it's not that much better. Let's go back to Zach Wilson with a little bit kind of a respite after that really rough stretch in the middle of the season. Some of those statistics are pretty pathetic. For instance, Joe Flacco has more touchdown passes than Zach Wilson, having started just three games to Zach's seven. I mean, there's just some – he's 34 out of 34 qualifying quarterbacks in pass completion. It's just there's something that has to be done to make clear that things have to change. So I'd play for Coach Bill Barnwell, that's for sure. You got me fired up. Uh, Thanks, as always, for the insight, Bill. Thanks, guys. At Bill Barnwell's where you can follow him. Go to the .com to read his story about contenders put on notice. Coming up, how cautious should the Bears be with Justin Fields and what the hell's going on with the Vikings? We'll talk to Courtney about it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Pretty tight game so far for the Nets at Sixers. Ben Simmons returned to Philly. 40 for the Nets, 48 for the Sixers. Not quite what was expected with so many injuries to that Philly team. Kevin Durant leading the way with 10. Kyrie Irving has nine. Simmons, six right now. He's a minus three, but um, only one player is a plus right now for the Nets because of the deficit. So we'll keep you updated on that. Courtney, I know you saw uh, some some healthy booing going on for Ben Simmons at the free throw line in that one. That's definitely to be expected. We'll keep you uh, keep in the loop on his return to Philly. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Since we have Courtney in the house tonight, we got to tap her brain on the things she knows best. Currently our ESPN NFL Nation reporter for the Bears. So she's one of the ones who broke the news that we all kind of read three or four times to try to understand Justin Fields day to day, but could be out for the season. Can you explain this? <laughs> Competitive advantage seeking Maddie Brafluz for a three and eight team. If that really, if that makes sense to you, where do you mean he... by being vague or the potential to decide to shut down intentionally? The vagueness, because here's the thing. When Justin Fields went out of the game, like, he didn't go out for, for very long. Like, they took a timeout under two minutes after he initially injures his shoulder in Atlanta on the first play of their final drive. He lands on it awkwardly. They have to call a timeout. There was no visit to the medical tent. There was no real meeting. I mean, I was watching it through my binoculars at the game. There was nothing that happened that would have led you to believe he couldn't go back in, obviously dealing with some pain in yeah, that moment. Yeah, just holding that spot, right. Nothing yeah. looked like it was season-ending. So I think the way that Matt Eberflus was trying to at least – the word deceive is probably a little too heavy, but trying to keep the Jets guessing up until Sunday, it would not surprise me at all if the Bears end up playing this thing out. Although it is intriguing because we just got an email about our media availability. Usually Fields talks on Wednesday before practice. Tomorrow they moved him to after practice. So my thought is that 
maybe he I mean, certainly won't practice this week, and then he'll be able to talk through it tomorrow, and we'll get to ask him himself, did you dislocate your shoulder? Because there's conflicting reports out there. You know, the first report from NFL Network is that he did, but there was no, from what I saw, there was no popping of the shoulder back in, which you'd absolutely have to do mm-hmm. if someone dislocated their shoulder. Granted, it was his non-throwing shoulder. It doesn't matter. From everything I've heard, it sounds more like an AC joint sprain and not a season-ending shoulder dislocation, more of a separation than a, than a true so dislocation. So if that's the case, is the decision-making around it more so about either the level of pain, um, but more so the worthiness of having him in there and risk further injury versus the opportunities for him to continue to grow? He'll have time after the bye. Like the good thing, silver lining in all this is that they have two games coming up, the Jets on the road this weekend, and then the Green Bay Packers come to Soldier Field in week 13. Their bye is really late this year. It's week 14, and then you've got a stretch that includes the Eagles, the Bills, uh, a couple other games before you end the season. You've got four weeks to evaluate him as a passer if the AC joint sprain can can heal at that point. So I don't think that you can sh- you necessarily need to shut him down for the entire year, but doing it in the short term is that's the best thing for your quarterback. It's the best thing for his long-term health and not making this thing even worse. Yeah, I mean, to me, what we're getting out of this Bears season is the development of Justin Fields, a better understanding of the front office and the coaches that have been re-established with a, a whole new regime this year, and which pieces of this pretty bad roster are worth investing in and keeping when they've got $100-plus million in cap space and tons of picks next year. As much as people who are watching the Bears looking for wins, and especially the ends of games where they're they're not effective, are, are dogging the team, I think they're actually ahead of schedule because of what we've seen from Justin and because of the big strides we've seen from the beginning of the season till now. But that kind of goes away if they're wastefully using him in meaningless games, particularly when L's are kind of desirous right now because of the draft picks. Um, So I think they have to be smart. I don't think shut him down for the season, but you just don't need to play him against the Jets. No, and especially that pass rush. They hit... Mac Jones eight times. They sacked him mm. six times. And, yes, the Jets lost last week. It wasn't the fault of their defense. And that's that would be the best secondary that he's faced this year. It's just not wise when he's dealing with something that clearly was hindering him on that final right. drive. I mean, they weren't – that was not supposed to be a quarterback run on the second play. It was supposed to be a halfback draw on second and nine, but there was some sort of miscommunication. And, of course, the throw that he made to David Montgomery that went too high, well, obviously his shoulder was affected by the injury, even though it wasn't the one he was throwing with. There's just no – like, there's just no need for that because right. you've seen what you need to see from him. You don't need to – and honestly, his legs need a break. Like, he told us last week that his legs felt heavy. Very clearly, the cramping that he was dealing with in the fourth quarter affected him to the point where he was really struggling to right. move around. And I don't blame him or the team as much for that. I think it's very hard to balance. We know this will work and help us win versus this isn't the best for his health, right? And because there's not a lot of good receivers, because the offensive line isn't giving him time, and because he still needs to develop as a passer, it makes a lot of sense to do those run design plays and all that other stuff, designed runs. But uh, you have to kind of be able to pull yourself back for the larger picture. Um, And I hope they do that this week. And I want to talk to you also about the Vikings. This is a team that you spent a lot of time covering. I did a bit of an I told you so lap on Monday because 
I've not said that they're a bad team. I've simply said until there's more proof of concept against good opponents, they haven't impressed me much. They had a one win against a winning team in the Dolphins without Tua, and then they had a, a really good win against the Bills, and then they get destroyed by the Cowboys. I don't think this is a team that would contend for a Super Bowl. What are you seeing from Minnesota? I'm not surprised that they lost in the way that they did because, of course, the win against Buffalo, like, you would have thought that this team won the Super Bowl. And I think that they can contend for a Super Bowl. I truly believe that. But their defense has been covered up by their offense's ability to come back in games, pitch these, you know, late-game comebacks where Kirk Cousins looks like a hero by and large, and they win by one score. Their pass rush is, is, should be a lot better than it is. The fact that Zadarius Smith and Daniil Hunter did not register a single sack on Dallas the other like last week when they played in that 40-3 to beatdown, that's concerning to me. The injuries in the secondary are concerning to me. So whereas last year, um, you know, this team was in one-score games and the defense let them down because the offense couldn't overcompensate for that, you're still seeing the strength of this team on the other side of the ball. But – I just worry that going down the stretch here for this Vikings team, which is currently the two seed, like that's going to be where they get exposed. And they've got to do a better job adjusting. The fact that Kirk Cousins was in the game for as long as he was, got a sack, sacked as many times as he was against Dallas, that, that's not good. Like I, I'm not, I was really surprised by Kevin O'Connell and the decision to keep him in there when he was just getting tossed around. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was surprising. It was also surprising when the broadcast cut away from the game. Oh my it was gosh! Also yeah. surprising. The third quarter. To see the statistic that Dak Prescott was passing at eighty-eight percent completion percentage when he got pulled. I mean, it was an absolute beatdown. Uh, I very much enjoyed it. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your motorcycle, RV, boat, ATV, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. We will keep you updated if we hear anything more about the Jets or the Bears quarterback situation or if we are headed straight for a Trevor Simeon and, uh, I don't know, Mike, Mike White, White game. Yeah, or Joe Flacco game. Uh, watchability ratings dipping as we speak. Coming up, is there something more to the poor play of the aforementioned Zach Wilson than meets the eye. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Ah, uh, one of our favorite segments, one of our favorite opens. It's Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And joining us from Football Outsiders, Aaron Schatz. Hey, we were just talking about the Bears and their decision-making around Justin Fields' health and what can be gained from the rest of the season versus what can be gained from taking some more L's and moving up that draft list. But uh, I want to talk about the offensive productivity. Weeks 1-6 to six versus weeks 7-11, to 11, biggest change in the entire league. How have they made that big pivot towards effectiveness offensively? Well, I mean, the first thing is that they realize, hey, we can run design runs with this guy. <laughs> Like, it's amazing. Uh, basically, they took the thing that everybody on Twitter had been telling them to do for a year and a half, and then they actually did it. So that's been a big plus. Uh, his passing has improved as well. But, you know, a big part of this has been the use of the design runs. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious that especially in the low red zone, that's like where that needed to start. Now they haven't gotten that much productivity from there. But, 
using him in a lot of different parts of the field to extend drives, pick up those third downs. That's been a critical element. But of course, now it's the overuse argument, Aaron, and trying to figure out how do you not have him run 14 times in a, in a half the way that he did against Atlanta, balancing that out. You know, when you take a look at him as a passer, because we've now made the argument that if you sit him for a couple games, you can still get a lot out of him by bringing him back maybe for the final four games. Where can they make the biggest strides for him as a passer so they can go into 2023 maybe a little bit ahead in that category? Pocket presence. The guy just takes too many sacks, and there are some measurements of offensive line play out there uh, whether it's PFF or the ESPN run blo- uh, pass block win rates that suggest that the Bears have an average offensive line, which means Fields is taking all of these sacks on his own, and the Bears lead the league in sack rate. They don't lead the league in sacks because they don't throw as much as other teams, but in sack rate, they do lead the league. So learning how to manage himself in the pocket – when to throw the ball away instead of trying to be a hero, how to identify blitzers, how to move his you know, blockers around with his calls before the snap. Like that kind of stuff is really where the improvement needs to come in for Justin Fields. It's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz as we talk to Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders at F-O underscore A Schatz is where you can follow him. Um, we've been talking a lot about Zach Wilson as well and the decision-making around him starting this weekend despite horrific numbers and a terrible attitude post-loss uh, versus their other options in Flacco and Mike White. Is there more than what we're seeing it, it, when we watch Sunday's game, when we when we look at it maybe as casual viewers as to why he's struggling so much and hasn't made the progress they hoped for? <laughs> Not when you watch Sunday's game. Sunday's game was horrible. <laughs> um, the rest of the season, Zach Wilson has not been as bad as people seem to think that he's been. Now, it does sort of matter that his best plays tend to be schemed up. Like, he throws a lot of passes behind the line of scrimmage. So he's getting gains off of screens and play action and stuff like that. But the fact is, he has played the hardest schedule of any quarterback in the league this year. And he has not. He has not been the worst quarterback in the league. Now, I'm not excusing how he played this week, because this week he was awful. And I'm definitely not excusing his attitude in the locker room afterwards, which is probably the biggest problem that Robert Sala has to deal with now. But when you look at his actual performance, you know, Baker Mayfield has been worse. Kenny Pickett has been worse. Davis Mills has been worse. He has not been the worst quarterback in the league this year once you adjust for the schedule he has faced. So on Sunday... Patrick Mahomes gave us one of those moments where we had to ask ourselves again, how much time is too much time for Mm -hmm. him to come back and win a game? And of course, he does that with Travis Kelsey in tow, that 17-yard touchdown, the go-ahead score for the Chiefs. They run away with a 30-27 to win over the Chargers. Of course, the argument now, Travis Kelsey, all-time tight end, best tight end ever. Clearly, Patrick Mahomes thinks so. So where do you land, Aaron, in that conversation? Is he the greatest tight end of our generation or of all time? I bet if you asked Tom Brady, he would have a different answer for you. Uh, I believe that when you talk about the greatest of all time, you have to do it in two different ways. The greatest peak player and the greatest career player. And they're two different guys Mm -hmm. at tight end. 
the greatest peak player is Gronk. Because Gronk was Travis Kelsey as a receiver who also was an all-pro right tackle when you needed him to be. Right? Like, he was an amazing blocker, and he was as good a receiver as Kelsey. Mm -hmm. And career-wise, nobody matches Tony Gonzalez. Yet. Give Kelsey another two or three years like this, and he probably is the best career tight end of all time. We also saw Gronk play incredibly well at the very biggest moments, but he had a lot of opportunities for those because he was so often in those Super Bowls and in those big games uh, by virtue of playing with Brady and and with the teams that were going very far. Aaron Schatz is with us here now on Spain and Fitz from Football Outsiders. All right, are we thinking that the Giants' loss brings us back to what your models have said about the talent on that team, and does it portend a few weeks more of them regressing back to what maybe was expected in the beginning of the season? Yeah, I think so, despite the great coaching. I mean, listen, it sounds crazy, but take the quarterback position away and compare the talent on the Giants to the Houston Texans. They're honestly pretty close. Like, the big difference between the Giants and the Texans this year, Daniel Jones is better than Davis Mills, but also is the coaching and the direction and just the general vibe around the team that has been so good for Brian Dayball and such a mess from the people running the Texans. The Giants just don't have that much talent. God, especially at wide receiver where – they traded Kadarius Tony, and Sterling Shepard got hurt, and now Wandale Robinson is hurt, and they're like down all their top receivers, and Kenny Galladay never plays anymore. And it's a, you know they're playing Isaiah Hodgins, who they picked up off the Buffalo practice squad, and like David Sills the fifth. It's messed up. So the San Francisco 49ers, big win last night. Uh, Dallas Cowboys, an even bigger win over the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday. Which team rose more in your DVOA rankings this week? Uh, San Francisco went from 11th to 6th this week. They had the biggest win of the week by our numbers. Yeah, it's very it's – very, uh... No, uh, no, no extra words needed, Aaron. That's where we're just no. I mean, it was dominating. I mean, you saw <laughs> the way it was. Is they've got a hundred weapons, they can use them all. And by the way, whichever weapons they're not using to carry the ball on that play are usually blocking downfield. So, as impressive as the Dallas win over Minnesota was at forty to three, like there was, there was actually more offense from the Vikings. Even though there was less scoring, there was actually more offense from the Vikings than there was from the Cardinals. So, yeah, I mean, I think San Francisco had the more impressive win, but both wins were really impressive. Dallas moved from fourth to second. They traded places with Philadelphia, and San Francisco went from 11th to sixth. And, and on, that, with us. Go on that note, I just wanted to ask really quick, Aaron, are you concerned about the Vikings? Like, has the, is this something – because that was just an absolute – you know, they got demolished by the Dallas Cowboys. Is there something that got exposed in that game that is a sign of a bigger problem, or is it just that Dallas's defense is that good and their offense is that good too? For the most part, it's what got exposed is the Vikings hadn't played really good teams for the mm-hmm. most part. They had played a lot of close games against other average teams or bad teams, and they, you know, the other really good team they played was Philadelphia, and Philadelphia keel-hauled them too. So, I mean, the problem is just the Vikings just aren't that good overall this year. Kirk Cousins has actually been down a little bit from his prior performance. They're just a very 
mediocre team this year. I think they're definitely better than what they showed in that game against Dallas. But, you know, I keep writing about this at Football Outsiders. Like, Minnesota is the worst 8-2 and two team of all time by yeah. our numbers. Yeah, DVOA, they're, what, 17th or something. So They're you know, 24th now. Now, actually, well, now. They, they, <laughs> this game dropped them from 17th oh. to 24th. So, like, not only are they the worst 8-2 and two team, but there is, like, a big gap between them and the next worst 8-2 eight and, uh, eight and two team, which was, in fact, the Vikings in 2000 when they famously wow. lost the NFC Championship game, forty-one to nothing. Yeah, and they are an eight and two team with a negative point differential, which is fascinating. Uh, Never Aaron, happened before. It's wild. It is wild, and we've talked about it all season long. They, they're, just because they're winning games doesn't mean what's happening during those games uh, isn't important to pay attention to as well. Uh, thanks so much for the insight. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on. Talk to you soon. Aaron Schatz, Football Outsiders. You can follow him at F-O underscore A Schatz. I love how sometimes the metrics are just like, and that's all you need to know, mic drop. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. All right. Uh, We'll get uh, more into the great anniversary we're celebrating today of the butt fumble and the hilarious moments you've shared with us. Plus, a classic moment from Spain and Fitz next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. This is an all-time bop. I don't listen to this song enough. It's before your time, Courtney. I'm dancing to it. You can't okay. see me right. on the Zoom, but I like it. Okay, good. Just making sure. It's Bain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, we announced yesterday on the show, Fitz and I, that the show will be ending Thursday, December 1st. So the next week or two, we're going to have some fun moments to look back uh, also have some of our favorite guests and some of our favorite segments. Courtney Cronin, obviously a big part of my radio career here, is one of the co-hosts of Spain and & Company and has been on this show a lot, talking bears and other things. So good to have her hosting tonight and next Tuesday as well. And Courtney reminded me of one of the early appearances when the show went from Spain & Company back to Spain & Fitz. We made filling in for Fitz, and we used to do these pre-show and post-show parties that were just for the podcast just a few minutes, usually involved a lot more swears than are generally allowed. And she reminded me of this particular one that had to do with Jason Fitz having a uh, problem with his toilets at his house. Uh, let's have a little uh, Spain and Fitz rewind moment. Spain and Fitz. Rewind! All morning, I'm sitting on the phone with different plumbers trying to find somebody that will work on something that requires you cut into plaster. This has been very complicated. So finally, I get a little stressed today, and I'm like, you know what? Uh, I am going to go to go just grab some Starbucks. I usually make my own coffee now because I'm cheap, but I'm going to go to get Starbucks, right? So I mask up. I walk out, and I, I think, man, it really smells like you-know-what outside. I look to the right, <laughs> and there is just an ocean of, I don't know, an iceberg. There's an ocean of poop all over it's the- It's a uh, pre-party. You can say <laughs> Uh, there's an ocean of shit, and I mean just an ocean of it. Now, I, I, I'm a basically a bachelor. Like my wife is still in Nashville. Like there is no way that I'm she creating would be the one this that much. Would get, oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah. I thought it was about who was cleaning it up. Oh no, uh, no, no, no. This is entirely no. about who produced the. Shit. Yeah, no. Well, and I'm looking at it thinking, there's. I've only lived in this house for a year. There's no way. Like this is more than a year's worth. Like it is. It is Whoa. out the house. Yeah, yeah. There was more than a year's worth of poop on his lawn. Uh, and Courtney, I just sat there quietly because I was did. so you, taken aback by this. And this is my first pre-party. 
Yeah, you were like, is this what it's always like around here? And the answer is yes. We're full of bleep. Uh, speaking of bleep, Ben Simmons has taken it, as we expected. All of it from the Sixers fans as he made his return tonight to Philly as a member of the Nets. Now, the game is close. Nets are up. Uh, Nets are down, I should say. Sixers are up 63-57 in the third. But here's a little bit of what it sounded like early on as Simmons went to the foul line. Yeah. Uh, what you can't tell from the audio there from TNT is the visuals, which included someone wearing Ben Simmons' face. It said Mr. Softy. Uh, another one wearing a City of Brotherly Love shirt while loudly and very clearly yelling F you over and over at him. So well done, camera people. I thought John Kincaid from the Fanatic, we had him on earlier tonight, told us that it was going to be so calm they and that they wouldn't yeah, care they and that they've moved on. <laughs> Like what Not part quite. of what Philly fandom is he part of? Right, where they've ever moved on from anything. It's very uh, like our Menchies are going to be blown up just from that. Uh, yeah, Ben Simmons, three for six from the field, three for four from the line, nine points so far in that one. Uh, so not too bad. Uh, and honestly, like we said before the show started, never a better time for him to make this return as he's actually been playing pretty well, much better, significantly better than when he started the season. So uh, hope hope things end okay for him. I know last time they were following his bus and whatnot. It was a bit much. Uh, it is, Courtney, the anniversary of the butt fumble, which in my mind is one of the all-time funniest moments in sports. There are plenty of sports moments that have made me sad, angry, happy, ecstatic, but as far as just straight up laughing out loud and wanting to rewatch it over and over, the butt fumble is near the top there. And so we asked folks for some of their memories of hilarious things they've seen during game action. We've gotten some that I encourage people to look at the replies at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Courtney Cronin on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed is where you can find some of these videos to watch for yourself. Uh, one of my favorites is uh, so good that somebody responded to it and wrote, I can't stop watching this. How the hell have I gone 22 years and not known this video existed? I'm mad at myself and everyone I've ever met that has the internet. <laughs> That's how much they were like, how is this something I've never seen before? And I don't think I've seen it either. It's a Kerwin Bell touchdown spike. He tries to do the jump and spike at the same time. It The ball bounces, comes right back, hits him in the twig and buries. He goes to grab his junk, leans forward, bounces off an opponent. That guy hits him in the face into another opponent who he takes out at the back of the knees there's a flag on the play i mean it's it's an excellent video all in like four seconds i mean that's an iconic moment like just the way that you described it without even having <laughs> seen the video yeah my goodness it's incredible it's incredible. I encourage people uh, to watch it uh, on Twitter. It is absolutely hilarious. Uh, there's a couple other good ones. People like when Randy Moss fake mooned in Green Bay. Uh, people love, I don't even know how to describe it. And again, if you have not seen Javi Baez stealing first, allowing a run to score, confusing the defense, causing the entire dugout to die of laughter and cheering, please find the video. Uh, I can't even describe to you the play. All the first baseman had to do was step on first base. And instead he gets them caught in a rundown, allows them to uh, uh, 
chase him down while the runner advances. Then they overthrow the play. Then eventually, uh, it's just, you have to, you have to watch this play against the Pirates. And of course it's against the Pirates. It's always against the Pirates. Um, that one, there's a famous baseball play. I don't even know who's involved, Courtney. I don't know if you do, where the guy slides and goes face first into a butt. I mean, I'm sure there are multiple instances yeah, of but that. This it is, is like baseball, one, after yeah, all. Yeah, this is the one that's been, like, memed to oblivion. It's always popping up on my timeline. Uh, LeBron James uh, looking at J.R. Smith when he got the rebound and thought they needed to run out the clock because he thought they were winning that face from him. Uh, that one is up there. That's pretty good. Um, Jose Canseco when the ball bounced off of his head and <laughs> over the wall for a home run. That was uh, that, that <laughs> one was incredible. One of I, I don't know if this is funny, but like do you, the Randy Johnson moment with the bird. That's with the not bird. Funny. I don't know if it's I could for whom I don't not know not for the bird, but it was just like one of those moments where huh? like the butt fumble in real time. I couldn't stop laughing because yeah, I don't. Re- di- you were laughing. I just huh? Sarah. You that was an incredible moment. I, I wanted to cry. I'm sorry, guys. Like, it was a weird moment, and it was just like, wait, did I really just see that? I think I you laughed because you're not sure how to you. re- you're not sure how to react. <laughs> I love all animals. There's a uh, NW drone four Ted sent a, a clip of Diana Taurasi getting getting face to face with Simone Augustus <laughs> and kisses her. Uh, those are good. I mean, if you're into it, uh, I'm blanking on his name, Little Ball of Hate, who likes to lick dudes' faces in the middle of a hockey game. That usually draws a laugh. Um, also, uh, yeah, I mean, just go to the list. There's so many good ones in there and a couple that I hadn't seen before. So thank you once again to the butt fumble. Uh, the anniversary of your existence has inspired a lot more laughs from us tonight. Courtney, thanks for filling in. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.